Hello and welcome to podcast number 12 of All Things Java. I'm Matt Greencroft. And apologies for the little pause there. Normally at this point my colleague Richard Chesterwood would jump in and say, and I'm Richard Chesterwood. But I'm all alone this week, he's not here. Actually, Richard has been busy working updating some of our courses. You may be aware that on quite a few of our courses, we show you how you can use Amazon's EC2 instances to deploy your work onto a cloud-based infrastructure. Well, unfortunately for us, Amazon have changed some things recently, which has meant that we've needed to update some of our videos to make sure that they work with Amazon's newer versions. So I've locked Richard away in the recording studio for the last few weeks, getting everything right, but I promise I am going to let him out to join me on the next podcast. I should perhaps also apologise for the delay in releasing this podcast. We have been super busy over the last couple of months, but we'll try to do our best to get a bit more regular from now on. So I'm actually not quite alone this month. In the studio today, we've got John Humble with us. John works for one of the largest tech employers in our local area called Sky Betting and Gaming. John is one of their principal engineers, and he's a real expert in Scala, Akka, Erlang, and Agile programming in general. So thank you very much, John, for joining us in the studio today. Pleasure. And we first met you at a talk that you did that was comparing and contrasting, I guess, Scala and Java. So I thought it might be nice to get you in and just talk to you a bit about what you're using in your day-to-day work and then how you make decisions around what's the right language or tool set for a particular job. Would you mind perhaps just starting by telling us a bit about the kind of applications that you work on, the kind of things that sky betting and gaming need? Sure. Um, so I think that the best way to visualise this is to imagine all of our customers right now uh, playing on Sky Vegas, which is, uh, which is virtual slot machines. Okay. Yeah? And every time they play, they spin one of the slot machines and we get an event. Yeah? And the event will tell us uh, what happened to the player, what happened to their, their stake and whether they won, etc. etc. So on the one hand, that, that seems fairly simplistic. But when you've got upwards of six, seven hundred of these a second, it gets quite interesting. Yeah. So we use a technology stack uh, using Kafka, which is a, a sort of distributed log if you like okay. and um and we use scala to process that um so we could perhaps go into why i would prefer scala to java in that scenario okay so before we get into that bit then so kafka for those who haven't come across it do you describe that as a distributed log oh it certainly is distributed distributed over machines i suppose you can think of kafka as um it, it's a bit like a, a broker if you think of it in traditional sense, but right. uh, imagine a document and every time an event comes in, you write it on the next line. Yes. You keep appending. So it's an append-only log. Right. Um, and, the, and there's typically two views in the Kafka world. The one is your event stream, which is every message that you've ever received. Okay. And then you may have what's, what's called a sort of compacted view of that, which is where you show the latest message for each key. Okay. Right. So if you yes. imagine these things are keyed, so you might get a key that says um, customer one uh, has spun and lost, customer two has spun and won, customer two has spun and lost. And then when you, when you roll that up, the last thing that happened to customer two was he spun and lost. Right. Okay. Lovely. So 
you said then you gave the game away that you would probably be choosing Scala rather than Java to be processing those messages from Kafka. So what's the reason for that? So I, I, some of it, I suppose, is a personal preference. That you certainly can do it in Java. And in fact, the Kafka Streams library is written in Java and it provides a Java API. Okay. So why would you then choose to use Scala to do it? Well, a lot of this for me comes down to the declarative nature of Scala. Um, so if you think about what we're doing here, you've got a stream of events, right? And, and with the stream of events, what you're typically going to do is you're going to do sort of map, filter, and, and fold, and these sorts of operations. Now, the, the, the beauty of declarative language really is that if you say, do a mapping on this collection, what you'll get is another collection with that mapping applied. Yes. Now, if you think about what's really happening there, if you were doing that in, in C or some sort of imperative language, what you'd have is a loop, yeah? Yep. And you'd loop around the collection, and for each item, you would apply a transform. But because Scala is declarative, you don't have to bother with the loop, it's implicit. Yeah? Right. So all you do is you say, I want this to happen to that collection, and it happens. And that's really powerful, and when you get to chain those things together, all of a sudden you've got a pipeline of um, transformations, filters, folds, that then lead you very simply to an outcome that would, that would be quite a lot of code in a more imperative type language. Okay, so but if you were going to attack that in Java then, as opposed to Scala, um, given the, the, that you can do functional-esque coding now in Java, since I think it's Java 8, isn't it? Is it much more work to do it in Java than it would be in Scala, or is it just simply it looks neater? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. I mean, I, I suppose if you, are, if you are a functional programmer, you would tend to look at what Java have done as it's a little bit tacked on. Yes. Um, and, and it's a little bit heavy on the boilerplate. Lots of angle brackets, types, and all this. So, I mean, you know, Scala's got type inference, so a lot of that stuff goes away. Um, yes, I mean, look, it, it's got a lot better in Java, don't get me wrong. Um, but nevertheless, I think if you, if you really want to do it in a, in a functional way, use a functional programming language. Awesome. You know, and I think we talked about this at the talk that you were there, the sort of three ages of programming, if you like, when we started with a C-type program, which was very... Um, you know, if statements and, um, you know, organising, uh, not organising your data and your methods together, just having it quite haphazard. Uh, and that became a problem when uh, programs started getting really big and then so object orientation came along, so you, so you encapsulating your data with your functions and, and that was kind of great, but then multiple processes came along and all of a sudden mutexes and, and thread locking became a problem. So then functional programming kind of started to make more sense because it doesn't have those problems. So immutable data structures and what have you. So it's, it's a kind of a progression. And, and interestingly enough, that's not a progression in time because functional programming has been around for ages. Yes. It just didn't necessarily make sense until very recently. Okay, okay, thank you. So um, can I just get a sense of what are the other kinds of um, sort of systems or technology stacks that you tend to be involved with on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said, you know, we, we mostly use an, uh, Scala with Kafka. Uh, on top of that, we use Docker as our containerization engine. Right. We use Rancher as our orchestration engine. And then, you know, on top of that, uh, some of our colleagues, uh, they'll use Hadoop. Right. Uh, so MapReduce. So you can kind of see two sides to this. What we do with Kafka and Scala is like 
real-time processing. Yes. And what they do in Hadoop HDFS world is more number crunching over a longer term. And you can actually combine those quite powerfully together if you have the ability to have looked at uh, some data points over a long time and then to be able to provide a precy of that to the uh, real-time processing can be really powerful. Yes. So Hadoop, that's interesting. So because a lot of our customers, we've taught Hadoop for a number of years, and a lot of our customers are now saying to us that they're moving from Hadoop to Spark. Um, so again, it's in terms of where your colleagues are that are using that, are they moving across to Spark particularly there, or is Hadoop a real key? I think Hadoop is still really key for us because it's, it's, it's the technology of the data warehouse. Yeah, right. rather than the data processing. Ah, okay. So, so we would. So Hadoop is the way that we are able to maintain a, a massive data lakes. Yeah, yeah, effectively HDFS. You're saying absolutely really. HDFS. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Whereas, um, I suppose Spark is more like how you would process stuff in or out of those those data lakes. Yes. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you. Great. So that's all interesting to know. What about new stuff looking forward then? So if you were starting a new project today, what would your what would your thought process be around deciding what's the languages, what technology stack you want to be using for that? Yeah, so I suppose it's, I always want to take a horses for courses approach. So I, I may have a, a preference for Scala, but uh, if I was if I was building a website, I probably wouldn't do it in Scala because it wouldn't be the appropriate technology. Um, for example, if I was building something that wanted RESTful interfaces, yeah. uh, I've always found that really easy to do with something like Jersey and Java. Okay. Um, so that JAX-RS interface is, is just really excellent. I've, I've always enjoyed using that. So again, although there are options in the Scala world for doing that, my first thought might be, well, maybe we should do it in Java like that. You know, yeah. Probably just a sort of experience thing. Um, and then I suppose it's to do with um, throughput processing. Uh, one of the things about Scala is it, it's meant to be the scalable language. Yes, right. so that's where, yeah. it, that's where its name comes from. And um, the idea is that if you are declarative about how you approach your programming, how that then gets distributed across a whole load of processors or compute power uh, can then be delegated downstream. Yeah, and you yes. don't need to worry about it. Yeah, whereas in something you know, much more uh, low level like C or C++, it, you, you're all over that stuff. Yeah. yeah. So. Okay. I think that's a consideration, especially with modern day processors and you've got uh, the ability often to, uh, to to shift the load around and maybe even use things like, um, there, there are technologies that will allow you to, like OpenCL that will allow you to use your graphics card as compute power. Yeah, right, all, yep. these things, okay. all these things are transparent to the language that you're using it. And, and being declarative helps with that. It helps with parallelization. It helps with um, offloading that thought process of where to run it. Okay. And so one question that always occurs to me is that if I was applying for a job right now and you were interviewing me, um, if Java is my core language, how much knowledge of one of the other JVM languages would you expect or want to see in a new recruit? What's your... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that, that that actually angle goes towards explaining one of the weaknesses of Scala, if you like, which is that uh, hiring Scala developers is really, really hard, and I know because I'm trying to do it. Right, okay. uh, <laughs> so uh, give me a shout if you're out there. Um, but yeah, um, I, I think that it's always really helpful as a programmer to be a polyglot programmer. Right, yeah. You, you know, I mean, just, just like in, in life, if you can speak multiple languages, multiple natural languages, that's a real benefit, you know, yes. and, and it's the same with programming. Um, I think, you know, when you, when you contrast Java with Scala, you're looking at two 
different worlds in a way. Uh, you know, Java is your traditional object-oriented programming language. Uh, Scala is a bit multi-paradigm, but I tend to focus very much on the functional side of that. Uh, if you are able to do both of those, you have a mindset of an imperative and a functional program, and that's a really powerful thing. Okay, so actually, so most programmers today then have probably also gone through that progression of started, maybe started the object orientated bit and progressed to functional. I mean, are, are there programmers coming around today who is actually starting on the functional side because there's now the recognition that that's what's needed? I'd, I'd love to think that was the case. I'm, I'm not sure it is. I, I think that. Uh, you know, the graduates who we get still are coming out with, with Java skills, right. uh, Java and JavaScript particularly. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I suppose, um, I would urge anyone who's out there who's starting out, if, if, you, if, you, you know, if you have the ability to go and learn a functional programming language as well. And remember, JavaScript is actually a functional programming language. Right, yes. Not a particularly pure one, but it, it, <laughs> it's hard, it is. Um, but if you have the ability to do that, Try it because it's a different way of thinking and different ways of thinking really, really bring out the best thought process in a person, I think. Yeah. Okay, lovely. Well, thank you once again for your time, John. I think I've used enough of it today and I hope our listeners out there have found this interesting. I think it's always really great to hear from absolute domain experts. I find it really uplifting. So thank you for taking the time out of your busy diary to join us. For those who are asking, I'll just wrap up by saying that we are currently working hard on our next courses here at Virtual Programmers. We'll be making an announcement about what is coming up very soon, so do keep an eye out on our website and our Facebook page if you want to know more. But for now, thank you for listening and see you next time.